ability to be here as Jose did our Christmas with his kids. And we live in Wichita. Anybody here from Wichita? Hey, raise your hand if you're in Wichita. Okay, all right. Got some representation. I'll get this in case I need it. Um, as is this working, by the way? Okay, this is not working. All right, I can't tell. All right, I'll use this then. Uh, I'm originally, uh, like I said, pastor in Wichita. And if you are a, if you're from Wichita, I just want to let you know during the summer and stuff, we've got an awesome college ministry uh, at Emmanuel Baptist. So I'm so thankful for what God is doing there. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this on the way up here, you know, this this past Sunday, uh, I left church, got in my car, and I turned out of the church parking lot. We are in downtown Wichita, kind of on the south side of downtown, and uh, on Broadway between Broadway and Topeka. If any of you know about that area of Wichita. And uh, it's not the best part of town, okay? And, uh, and I turn out, and as I'm driving north on Broadway, I look over to my left, and there is a, uh, a prostitute uh, dressed in a very traditional uh, garb of a prostitute walking down the street. I look on the other side of the road, and there is a man with a cowboy hat carrying an aluminum baseball bat over his shoulder. And then I look, and I see uh, several homeless people on the side of the road. And, and, it, and it dawns on me as I think about the situation where I'm pastoring in the midst of a city where there's so much brokenness and so much pain and so much addiction and people are feeding it with so many of the wrong things. And then I come here and I think about you all. You're at a unique place in life where you're getting further education. Some of you here on scholarships for, for athletics or academics or whatever it may be. You've got your whole life in front of you. You've got goals. You have uh, a desire for your life and what you want that to look like. And, and it may seem that you're so far away from that picture that I just described to you on the streets of Wichita that you think, well, I'm glad I'm not there. But listen, you know what? There is a problem that every single one of us have, and it exhibits itself in different ways. But I find that no matter where I go, some people say, well, I'm not spiritual. You know, I don't have any interest. I'm not religious. But everybody is pursuing some kind of religious goal. For some people, their life is driven by possessions. How much can I have? How much money can I make? Uh, how, how much stuff can I have? What kind of car can I drive? What will my clothes look like? And some people are driven by a desire to try to fill a void in their life with pleasure. You know, do I enjoy life? Am I having fun? Does it feel good? Some people are driven by a sense of power and prestige. You know, do, I, do other people respect me? Does my family respect me? Do my peers look up to me? even through social media or whatever it is, the, the kind of perception that I'm trying to convey. But I want you to know that until you come to the place in your life where you can recognize that all those things are worthless, and until you can see that the only true significance that you can have in your life, and, and I hope, by the way, that, that you do have some prestige in life. I hope that you have some possessions in life. I hope that you, you have some pride of, of accomplishment in your life. But that's, those things pale in comparison to the relationship you need to have with Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ, that, then those things can be in the right perspective in your life and not all-consuming. And so I want to read about a man who, uh, who, who was very broken. 
And he recognized that his needs were great. Sometimes it's the more things we have and the more affluent we are and the easier our life is and the more successful our life is, the less we see our need for God. But I want to show you a man whose life didn't look like, maybe some of yours look like, maybe, maybe some of your lives are broken and blind like this man that we're about to read about this morning. But, but you're covering it up. Maybe nobody knows what you're going through, what you're dealing with emotionally, what you're dealing with relationally. And I want you to read uh, with me in, in Mark chapter 10, in verse 46, the Bible says, Now there came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for, for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that is Rabbi, may I receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You know, this is the, the last healing miracle in the gospel of Mark. And, and it is the only healing miracle in the gospel of Mark where the person who's healed is named. And, and it's, it, there's, it's coming to kind of a major transition in Mark where uh, through first uh, ten chapters, there's been these healings and miracles, and now, starting with chapter 11, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, and, and that last chapters 11 through 16 deals exclusively with one week in Jesus' life. The previous 10 chapters have been uh, the last three years of his life, but as we think about this story about Bartimaeus and what was happening in his blindness, this entire story, what was happening outwardly with Bartimaeus was also happening inwardly. And often the Gospels do that. It tells us about somebody who was healed, and, and that healing is important, but more important than that is the healing and the work that God was doing inside that person's life. And, and just as you say, well, I'm not outwardly blind. I'm, I'm not outwardly begging, but maybe inwardly you are. And, I, and, I, and anything that, uh, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to understand that what Jesus does for this man when he passes by is the same thing he can do for you. That if you would cry out to him and, he, and understand that he is calling you, that God can work in your life. Now, I just want to show some things to you from this text, and I, I want to do that rather quickly this morning. But in, the first thing I want you to notice here in verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, blind Bartimaeus sat by the road begging. And that says something to me about a sinner's condition, about the condition that we find ourselves in. And, and as Jesus is leaving, and, and by the way, I've been to Jericho before, and, and it's about 18 miles from Jerusalem, and it is a, one of the lowest points on earth. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth, and it's just there by the Dead Sea. And you go up this massive uh, ascent, this massive climb up to Jerusalem. And so as Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for the very final week of his ministry, you have this man who's sitting there. Now, some of the other gospel writers tell us there were two beggars there. Uh, Mark only names or mentions one of them because he's the one who's doing all the talking. And, and he, we know that his name is Bartimaeus. And the reason he's named here is probably because those who read Mark's gospel for the very first time probably knew of Bartimaeus. He is an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. 
But, but as we think about his condition, you've got, he is a blind beggar. And, and when you think about that situation being blind, think about blindness for a moment. And, and every one of us, before we come to know God, is, is blind. Every one of you may think, well, I, I can see pretty well. I think I see things. I think I, I'm a good judge of character. I, I'm the person who can watch the television show and, and, and tell you what's going to happen before it happens. I'm perceptive. You know, we might think we're perceptive, but, but ultimately all of us spiritually are blind. In fact, in, uh, in, in, God says it like this in the Bible. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine on them. And so Satan has blinded us. He wants to keep you asleep at the wheel. He wants to keep you uh, just inundated with your life, so much so that you don't see and hear what's happening. Right now, I realize that some of you are thinking about classes and tests and, and things that are happening outside of this room, and, and it's hard for you to pay attention. It's hard for you to listen right now because the God of this world wants to keep you blinded to the situation around you. But you understand that, he, furthermore, Paul says this, he says that, their understanding has been darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, blindness can just lead to more blindness, and blindness leads to more problems. For Bartimaeus, he could not earn a living. Now, this was a day before there were any kind of government benefits. Uh, there was no paycheck for him. Uh, there was no food stamps for Bartimaeus, because if you could not work, you could not eat. And if you cannot see, you cannot work. And so because he can't see anything, that's the, his blindness is the reason that he's begging. And, and so he can't see to do that. And blindness leads us to emptiness. See, God wants you to have a full and a meaningful life. I don't care who you are, what you're going through. God wants you to have a full and meaningful life. He wants you to have an abundant life. No matter what you're doing with your life, he wants you to live your life in him so that it can have meaning, so that it can have purpose, and so that it can have significance. But, but as long as you fail to see who God is and remain blind, you'll never see that. And, and you know, sometimes just, just the fact that we are finite people, that we are mortal people, prevents us from seeing God. You know, all of us sometimes kind of realize that we, we think the world revolves around us, but this world is so much bigger than we are. God is so much bigger than we are. I heard about a little boy who was uh, trying, he was learning to count. And I've got three kids, and, and of course, when they start learning to count, you know, they think that they're pretty impressive when they can count to 10. And they think they're even more impressive if they can count to 100. And this little boy, he asked his mom, he said, what's the highest number? And, and she said that numbers never stop. They just keep on going. She thought she had taught him the concept of infinity. And when she, she turned around, he was crying because yeah, he, he wanted to be able to count to that highest number. You know, I think about that sometimes. That's the way we all are. We want to be able to understand everything. Here as you go off and you think about higher education, we want to be able to put our fingers and understanding in our minds and wrap it around concepts and be able to explain things. But there's just some things in this world that we cannot explain. We begin to understand that God has put us here and that he is the creator and that we are but creatures. And our whole life, so many times, we, we go around, we're groping in the darkness. We're looking for something, for someone, something, some place that can give us meaning. And, and the, that, that describes our condition. And so we think about the sinner's condition here, but I also want you to see his cry. And it describes for us the sinner's cry. It says in verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And, and so think about this. He's never seen Jesus. He can't, he's never seen anyone. He's blind. And, and yet he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. How did he hear about Jesus? Well, he had heard other people talking about Jesus. And some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus personally. You hear all about him. You have to come to these chapels and scan your app and get credit and go about your business. But you, you don't know him personally. You, you've heard other people talk about him. But, but, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. And, and yet you can have faith, though, through that hearing. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as I tell you about who Jesus is, the fact that he is God, that he is man, that he is the perfect substitute for your sins, that he died on a cross and that he rose again, as you hear that message, I hope that you, like Bartimaeus, will come to trust in him the way he did. Because he can help you if you'll call on him. I don't know what you're going through right now. And what are you going through? What's going on in your life? Maybe your best friend knows about it. Maybe your parents know about it. Maybe somebody back home knows about it. Or maybe everybody in your dorm knows it. And maybe only you. But God knows. God knows what you're going through today. And God cares about you. And God wants you, like Bartimaeus, to call out to him. And, and, and Bartimaeus says, son of David. Why did he say that? Because in that day, and in in Israel at that time, to say the son of David meant to identify that Jesus was the Messiah, someone who was going to come and rescue the nation and, and redeem the people. They were expecting a Messiah who would be descended from the line of David, hence the son of David. So he's saying, hey, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Savior. And it isn't interesting that this guy's blind, and yet he recognizes who Jesus is. Now, what he lacked in eyesight, he made up for in insight. He, he had insight into who Jesus was. And, you know, there are a lot of us that we think we see everything. Sometimes the smartest guy in the room, sometimes the smartest girl in the room is not necessarily the most insightful person. Somebody once asked Helen Keller, who was born blind, they said, you know, what's, it, is, can there be anything worse than being blind? And she says, yes, the only thing worse than being blind physically blind is having two eyes and not being able to see and I think about that and, and this man he's blind but yet he recognizes who Jesus is and he makes a request he cries out to Jesus and and what does he ask for he says son of David have mercy on me have mercy on me he, he, he goes from begging he's been begging but he's been begging for money now he's begging for mercy do you know what the difference between grace and mercy is? Sometimes we use those things as Christians. We talk about, oh, you know, grace and mercy. But, but whenever, they don't mean the same thing. If you get a speeding ticket, as, as I've gotten plenty, and you get a speeding ticket and you go to court and you stand before the judge, you can make a plea for mercy. You don't make a plea for grace. Uh, grace is when you ask for God to give you something you don't deserve. Okay? It's like a gift. It's something that you don't deserve, but God gives it to you anyway. Mercy is when God does not give you what you do deserve. So in the case of judgment, you're in the court. You deserve punishment. You are guilty, but God doesn't punish you. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus is asking for in this time. He's saying, God, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out 
for mercy. He's recognizing that he is a beggar. He is recognizing that he is blind. He is recognizing that he is broken. And how many of you today would recognize those things about yourself to recognize that you fail to see God for who he is, that you fail to do what God has called you to do, that everything you have is just from God and you're simply a beggar and you need to have a relationship with God and it only comes when you cry out for God's mercy. Have you had that experience? Have you begged God for help in your life? Because, because while there's this sinner's condition and the sinner's call, I want you to know, or sinner's cry, I want you to know it's the Savior's call. And by the way, before I even move on, I want to say one thing about this text. You notice there that in that next verse that other people start saying, hey, shut up. Hey, be quiet. They try to silence Bartimaeus. Now, some of you are hurting in your life, and there's other people who would try to silence you. They try to stymie your call to God. Some people, they don't want to hear what you have to say. You feel like you're all alone. I can't tell you in the last few years how many funerals I've done where the person in that casket committed suicide because they felt like nobody cared about them. Nobody wanted to listen to them. Nobody cared about what they had to say. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ cares about what you're going through. He cares about you. And, and, and when you cry out to him, you'll see the Savior's call. Jesus stood still and he commanded him to be called. And then they said to the blind man, be of good cheer, he is calling you. Hey, guess what? Your lucky day has just come. He wants to see you. And as I think about that, the fact that Jesus stopped. Now, Jesus is very busy. This is the most important week of his life coming up in chapter 11. He's about to go to the cross. He's got to be in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Everything's going to unfold the way that it's been written in the Scriptures. But yet, as busy as he is, guess what? He has time for this guy. And God is never too busy to care about what you're going through. And, and, and as he calls out, Jesus calls for him to come over. And, and so in order for God to work in your life, I want you to understand, you, say, you think, what, what do I have to do to get God to work in my life? You've got to open your mouth before he'll open your eyes. You've got to ask for him to come and intervene in your life. And so he calls on him. That's, that's faith. And notice what else he does in verse 50. He, he throws aside his garment. I think that's a picture of his repentance. This was probably the thing that he was using to lay out in front of him. This is like his guitar case. If you're walking through the city and somebody is begging for money, sometimes they'll, you know, they'll be playing the guitar, and they'll have that guitar case. Up. This is his guitar case. He's got his garment laying out there with everything he's got in it, and he throws it aside because he just wants to get to Jesus that badly. Now, what is it in your life that you need to cast aside to come to Christ. And some of you already know what that is. It's some relationship. It's something you're looking at on the Internet. It's something that you're involved in. And there's something in your life that you don't want to give up to come to Jesus. You say, I'd, I'd love to follow God. I'd love to have a purpose, purposeful and meaningful life. But, but this thing here is bringing me pleasure. This possession I have in my life is, is I'm too committed to this. But he throws it off that he could come to Jesus. He, he sees his repentance, and he makes his request when he says, what do you want me to do for you? He, he calls Jesus Rabboni, which is like rabbi, but it's more of a term of endearment. It's, he's saying, hey, you're my master, my master. He says, I want you to give me my sight. <laughs> now, think about that for a minute. I mean, if, if you were blind, if you had a medical, if you have a medical problem, and you're walking down the street, and somebody says, hey, what, what do you want me to do for you? Um, you know, sometimes I had a situation right now. There's a 47-year-old man with 
two kids in my church, and he died on Monday morning. I got a call. I was over at this house, and I get ready to leave, and, and, and his wife is standing there, and, you know, and, I, and I prayed for them, and I said, if there's anything I can do for you all during this time, please let me know. I mean, what if she had looked at me and said, I want you to go in there, and I want you to raise him from the dead? It would have been crickets. Because she would ask me to do something that I couldn't do. So when this man says, I want you to give me my sight, it's pretty clear he understands that Jesus is able to give that which he is asking. And so when you come before God, whatever the need is in your life, you have to understand that Jesus Christ can meet your need. He, he can give you what it is you're asking for. And, you, and the thing that more than anything else that we need to ask for is not only to have our, our eyes open, our sight restored, but that he would have mercy on us. That he would have mercy on us. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you're here today and you've done some things in your past that you regret, if you need God to have mercy on you for what you've done, if you want to have a full and a meaningful and a purposeful life, you know what it all starts? It starts in a very simple way, that you simply say, Lord, please forgive me and save me and be the Lord of my life, that you call on him just through praying. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to, to, to have an elaborate prayer. It doesn't have to be a certain length of time. You just call on him, and he will save you, and he will give you that Savior's call. Whenever we cry out to him, he always calls us to be saved. And then there's the sinner's conversion. I want you to notice there in verse 52, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now when he says, Go your way, your faith has made you well, literally he's saying your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. That, that, that is in the perfect tense. That means it's completed, it's fully accomplished, that he was converted, that he was saved, that there wasn't something else he had to do. There wasn't a continual process he had to go through. I was uh, thinking about this on the way over here. Anybody, Jose and I were talking about this. I'm 35, so I realize I'm probably, you probably think I'm an old man. But uh, when I was in college, there was, or I think I was a freshman, there was an Amy Winehouse song called uh, Try to Make Me Go to Rehab. Anybody know that song? Okay. I'm glad a couple of you do, at least. Um, Anyway, try to make me go ahead of rehab, and I say, no, no, no. I, I guess I think she should have gone. But, but regardless of the fact of whatever we're going through, God isn't calling us to go to rehab. He's calling us to redemption. If, if we are redeemed, now I'm not saying there's not a time for some corrective steps in your life. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is the most important need in our life is redemption, that we be changed, that we be converted by calling on Christ. And it is finalized. Our salvation is guaranteed. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says it like this. Whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And these he also glorified. When you recognize Jesus as your Savior and you repent of your sins, you receive God's gift of salvation, of conversion. You are changed. There used to be a great preacher many years ago, and he was a former baseball player. He was a professional baseball player turned preacher. And he said that when you call on Christ, he said it's kind of like when you slide in the home plate. He said God says safe. Safe. You are safe. You are eternally secure. Your salvation is guaranteed when you call on the Lord. 
And that conversion will change your life. Now you'll begin to have purpose. You'll no longer live for yourself, but you'll begin to live for God and for other people. You'll be able to share a testimony of what God has done in your life. There used to be a, a man by the name of D.T. Niles, and he said that evangelism, that is telling other people about Jesus, is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Can you look at your life and share with other people the reason for the change that's in you? And, and, and notice the man gets up and he begins to follow after Jesus. And guess what? He's following Jesus uphill. He's going uphill toward Jerusalem and toward the cross. And his call to discipleship was a call to go uphill following Jesus to the cross. And the call to discipleship is no less different for you. When God calls you, he's not calling you simply to say a prayer and walk away and pretend it never made a difference in your life. It is to walk with Jesus, carrying your cross, counting the cost to follow Jesus. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our church. After I preached Sunday, there was a young man from WSU. Uh, he's an Indian national, and he came, and he was talking to me, and he said, you know, Pastor, what you were talking about this morning, he says, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. You know, I, I didn't really grow up in a Christian nation or in a Christian home. He said, but, but I want to, to think about that. I want to count the costs. He says, I'm trying to decide if I publicly want to, want to profess faith in Jesus. Have you counted the cost that it means to follow Christ? This guy who had been born blind in that next week of his life, saw the most incredible events in all of human history. With his own eyes, the man who was born blind became an eyewitness for Jesus Christ. My question today is, will you join Jesus on the road of discipleship? Today, did you realize this, that the same Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind, who raised the dead, who died on that cross, who rose again, who's coming again, that he's, he speaks to you? And you can call on him just as Bartimaeus did almost 2,000 years ago. Today he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer? Are you just going to say, I'm good? Nothing? Or would you ask him to do for you that which he did for Bartimaeus? To have mercy. Open your spiritual eyes. Alexander McLaren once said this, Jesus Christ was passing by. He was never to make it to Jericho anymore. If Bartimaeus did not get his sight then, he would be blind all of his days. Christ and his salvation are offered to thee, my brother, now. Perhaps if you let him pass by, you will never hear him call again. As I think about that, I, I spent four years at a Christian college. I have a lot of friends who spent four years at a Christian college, and you had to do things like go to chapel just like this. And you get to hear the gospel, this message. But for a lot of you, you're going to go out, and you're not going to think about this again. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Maybe you're just tuning in. Maybe you're just waking up. But I want to ask you, have you made that decision? Have you asked Christ come into your life and to change your life. There's nothing more important that you can do. So I'm, I want to pray during this time, and I just want you to bow your heads around this room. And if you've never trusted Christ, and you want to know for sure that you can have eternal life, that he can open your eyes and change you, 
I just want you to pray with me this prayer, and if it's nothing magic about a prayer. I don't want to try to manipulate anyone, but if God's speaking to you, I just want you to know that you can call on Christ and he will save you. But you just pray with me, dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. Lord, you know, I've done some things that I regret, that I wish I hadn't done, and I can't change them, but Lord, I know that you can cleanse me. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And Lord, I want to quit living for myself and start living for you. Lord, I'm sorry. Please save me. Thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen.